morning, everyone. Let's stand and sing. Thirty-six twenty-six says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful that we can come together this morning to worship you, and we thank you so much for that opportunity. Father, as we are gathered here today, we're gathered in the name of Jesus, and we're so thankful for the salvation we're going to have through him. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you today. We're here to celebrate the Lord together. Amen. And this morning we're going to do that. Please make sure you fill out your connection card. If, uh, if you're in-house, you've got them in your bulletin. You also have a number in the bulletin. And those watching online, you can follow that number also. Our first-time guests, if you'll hit the first-time guest one, uh, we will send you a text message. or You'll get two text messages. That's it. We don't use that for marketing purposes, so you won't get inundated with text messages. Well, at this time, I'm going to turn things back to the praise team as we continue lifting up the Lord in song. You may be seated.
Well, today we're going to dive into the second in our, message in our series, The Bible, Prioritizing God's Word in Our Lives. When you look at life, life offers many opportunities and options. And we have to evaluate what we're going to receive back for whichever way we decide to live life. We have to look, think about when we invest our time and our talent and our treasures into any option in life, we really should be thinking about what's the return going to be? What will I get out of this, if you will? Um, when considering all the investment options available to people from a financial standpoint, you have to look at many factors before you pull the trigger on making that investment. I mean, some, some people might just pull one out of a hat and say, I'm going to invest here, but that's probably not going to be a good strategy over the long haul. Ultimately, when one invests their money into something, what are you looking for? You're looking for a good return, aren't you? You're not thinking, I'm going to invest $10,000 in this stock and I can't wait for it to lose all my $10,000 <laughs> or, you know, something along that lines. You're not looking for that. You're really hoping that when you put your money into that, you're either trying to protect your money because you want to keep something steady or you're trying to hit a home run and you want to hit that home run. Well, <clears throat> the same principle is kind of true with your life. You have to consider when you're taking your time and talent and treasures, which that's what you have with life, is you have time, you have your talents, and you have your treasures. When you put them in an area, what are you getting back for it? I don't think anybody goes into life thinking, you know, I'm going to invest myself into this, and I hope it crash and burns. I just hope my life is ruined and it goes down the path. You know, some people invest their life into a life of crime, and when they get caught, it all comes crashing down, doesn't it? We've seen people who are very unscrupulous in the financial markets, the white-collar crimes, who get slap on the wrist when they do something. But the fact is they've taken a chance to invest everything in something that eventually fell apart. Well, have you thought about the current path of your life, where you're investing your time, your talent, your treasures, and your heart? See, when it's all said and done, what will the return on your investment be? What are you going to get out of what you're doing with your life right now? I mean, some people say, you know, I'm going to invest my life in my career, which, hey, you need a career, I get that. But if you're putting all your eggs in that basket, guess what? One day you're going to be in the casket, and you're not taking your career with you, are you? So you have to really consider this. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. This is a great psalm. It's a great passage. And we're going to look at two investment opportunities that you have for your life, because really, when push comes to shove, even though there seems like there's many options, ultimately there's two. And you have to decide which one. One of them is exactly one way. The other one, even though there's many opportunities in it, they, those all lead to the same spot. And so you have to think about where am I going to invest my life and what's the return? The first Psalm is an introduction to the entire book of Psalms. It was probably written by David and it celebrates the person who's blessed because they meditate on the Torah uh, prayerfully reading it and obeying it. Now, the Hebrew word Torah simply means teaching. It also, came, it also came to be known for the first five books of the Old Testament, which is the foundation for the Jewish law, and it's the foundation of our Bibles. It seems like this word has both meanings in Psalm 1, both teaching and those first five books. The Psalms, though, are being offered as kind of a new Torah that will teach God's people about lifelong practices of prayer, striving to be obedient to God, instead of just following laws. Psalms is trying to take people a little bit deeper. 
Psalm 1 is considered a wisdom psalm, and as I said, it was probably written by David, and the author's encouraging the readers to forsake the lifestyle of the wicked and to instead be loyal to God and his word, because ultimately, those are the two choices you have for life, follow God or not follow God, and the not follow God has a billion veins off of it, but the follow God is one path. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So that tells us that there is one path. A lot of times when people talk about, if you will, religion, they'll say, well, all paths lead to the same God. No, they don't. If that path doesn't go through Jesus, it's not going to God. So we have two choices. Now, what we do is we find in Psalm 1 a contrast between the, the destiny of the righteous and the destiny of the wicked. The psalmist kind of offers us a prospectus on the return of investment that one decides to make with one's life. So this morning, turn with me, we'll be in Psalm 1. We're going to begin with verse 1. How blessed is the one who does not follow the advice of the wicked or stand in the path of the sinner with the sinners or sit in the assembly of scoffers. So the first path of life we can choose, which has many veins, is the path to ruin. When you live life, there comes a point when you have to decide how you're going to live that life. How am I going to spend my time? How am I going to spend my, use my talents? Where am I going to place my treasures? Where am I going to invest my heart? What is it that's going to drive the way I live? If you walk the path of life, inevitably, you reach that point, if you will, that fork in the road, where you're going to have to make a decision. Because when we're born, we don't have that ability to, to make that thought. But then as you get older, you start to realize, you know what? I have to make a decision. And by the way, not making a decision is a decision because we have to decide to follow Jesus. Verse 1 describes the path that will lead to ruin. Or put another way, the path, if we choose to invest our life in it, will offer a horrible return on our investment. It is not something that you're going to want to face. Now notice in verse 1, the passage begins with how blessed. The psalmist tells us if we follow the path of verse 1, in other words, if we do the things that we should be doing, we won't be blessed. Now, the word blessed represents the happiness that God-given security and prosperity produce. In other words, it's deeper than just smiling. It's deeper than just your team won the Super Bowl, <coughs> Chiefs. And I told, well, it was a close game. But anyway, I got lucky on that. Um, but this is something much deeper. It's going through life knowing that God is with you. Knowing that as you're following God, God will bless you. Now, I'm not talking about the caviar Cadillac and, and, and the mansion, but what I'm talking about is the fact that you know that whatever you face in life, and it doesn't mean that you won't face difficulties because we're all going to face them. We live in this world, don't we? And because of that, we're going to have issues. We're going to have issues. But what it means is we have this calmness to us. We have this peace that, as Jesus says, surpasses all understanding because we know who's in control. We know who we're following. You know, when we're kids and we have that confidence in our parents, <clears throat> we're pretty much carefree. Now, as we get older and we start losing that confidence in our parents because they're not letting us do what we want to do, it gets more difficult, doesn't it? And the same thing is true in life. When we have that childlike faith, childlike faith that Jesus talks about, we're following Jesus, man. We don't really have a care in the world. But when we, don't, when we start to not trust him, that's when the problems come in. The term blessed doesn't imply that God has given some particular favor 
There's a different Hebrew word for that. But instead, it means this person who's conducted themselves, that this condition of blessedness is a result. In other words, if you do the things that God tells us to do in this passage, the result of that is blessing because it's just the natural result. It's like if you um, eat, right, eat right and exercise, the result will be your body will be in good shape. And that's the same thing. It's not just, well, okay, you're eating and exercising, so I'm going to give you this gift of a good, good body. No, it's a result of doing that. And so the blessings that we receive from God, it's not saying, well, I'm going to bless you, but not you. I'm going to bless you, and I'm not going to bless you. It's an issue that when we're following God, and by the way, just as a side note, I've said this before, if a person who's not even a Christian, if they will take God's principles and live them out in their life, they're going to have a level of blessing from it. Because if you handle your finances like God says, the natural result is your finances are going to be pretty good. If you parent, if, you, if you're a husband or a wife the way God says, these things are going to be pretty good just by the fact that you're following good counsel, that you're not following foolish things. But hap um, this happiness is what he wants us to have. That's what this blessing means. A good life is attractive. It brings real, not superficial happiness. Not remember those commercials and the guy's mowing the yard and smiling and they're saying, how you doing? I'm doing great. And he's losing everything he has. That's fake. See, when we're following God, we can have a true happiness. We don't have to fake it till we make it. It's there. It's there for the taking. When you dig deep into verse 1, one of the things you're going to notice here is a progression. The progression is follow, stand, and sit. And as we examine this downward course in a deeper level of intimacy, you'll find that this path to ruin begins simply by follow. The first step to the path of ruin is follow. He says in verse 1, he says, How blessed is the one, first of all, who does not follow the advice of the wicked? So this is the first, this is kind of a casual, if you will, relationship with sin. It's a casual relationship with going down the path we shouldn't. The word follow denotes walking alongside of, going through, or going with. And so when we ask for advice and we take that advice and we start walking alongside of it, when we take the advice of the wicked, as it says, what will end up happening is it gets us on the beginning of that path. We don't have a real identification with that path. We're searching and we're seeking. And so we're asking. We're asking questions in life, which we should. And even as Christians, God's not afraid of your questions. I was raised in a church that you didn't, you didn't ask questions. You just believed it. And I'm not wired, wired that way. Because I want, I, want I want answers. And God's not afraid of those. But the thing is, one of the first steps to the path of ruin is where you decide to get your advice. When I worked with my company, one of the things I saw a lot is we had a lot of problem marriages, you know, not unlike everywhere else in the, in the world. And what would happen, essentially, is a person was having marital problems, okay? So what they would do is they would go to somebody else who had, who had had marital problems or who'd been through maybe many marriages, seeking advice. I don't know about you, but do you see a potential problem with that? See, I would want to go to somebody who's had success, just like a financial advisor, if you're looking to go to a financial advisor and they bring out their portfolio and say, yeah, you know what, every time I've, I've given counsel to somebody, they've lost, their, they've lost everything they've had. You want to do business? I'm not sure that would be a smart move, would it? I'd rather go to the person that says, yeah, you know, we've missed a few. It happens. We're, we're, not, we're not perfect. But here's what we've done. Overall, we've been successful. Which one would you want to follow? So why is it with some of the most important questions in life, 
we seek answers from people who really don't have the answers. And can you see where that goes with us? If you want to see blessings from God, you have to consider, first of all, who are you going to follow? Where are you going to turn to advice? Remember when we were teens? By the way, that was when you were the most intelligent of your whole life, weren't you? You were the smartest right as a teenager. And what do teens usually do when they have a problem in life? They go to other teens. And, you know, that doesn't always work out too well. And maybe they should be going to their parents or going to God. And so you have to be careful. Now, the righteous person doesn't seek the advice of the wicked. Now, wicked, that's, that's a pretty nasty-sounding term, isn't it? I mean, who are wicked people? Well, the Bible tells us that the person who does not walk with God is wicked. And we use that term, we think it's just horrific. Well, it kind of is. It sounds harsh. But when you realize that there are only two sides of the coin, God and not God, if you're not with God, God says, you're wicked. Now, you could be really nice and wicked, I guess, but you're either for God or you're against God. And so particularly those of us who, 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 uh, who follow Jesus, when you're seeking counsel, you've got to be careful where you go. By man's standards, you have to be pretty rotten to be wicked because, you know, we don't go around saying, well, you're wicked and you're wicked. As a matter of fact, I don't remember the last time I called somebody wicked. But in God's sight, all it takes is a person who doesn't walk with him in his eyes to be considered wicked. When we go to those who follow Jesus or who don't follow Jesus, we really can't expect godly counsel. Every once in a while, as they say, a broken clock's right twice a day. You can hit something occasionally, but if you habitually are going to people who aren't tuned in with the Lord for your counsel, it's going to take you down a bad path, and here's why. Many reasons, but here's one of them. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message about the cross is foolishness, to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. I can't tell you how many times, particularly when I worked at the factory, and I had to deal with situations with people because people would come to me and they would look at me like I was crazy when I would tell them to do certain things. Maybe they were having marital problems and their spouse was, you know, horrible, not, not, not physically abusive, just not very good. And I'd say, okay, here's what you need to do. You need to treat them like Jesus would treat them. Oh, you need to forgive them. Oh, no, that's crazy. Why would I want to forgive them? Why would I want to do nice things for this person? It didn't make sense. And so when we're trying to talk about God to people, if they don't know him, it, it sounds crazy. Another reason that you've got to be careful who you go to is differing value systems. In 2 Corinthians 6.14, it says, Do not become partners with those who don't believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship does light have with darkness? And many times we've used this passage to say, hey, Christian, don't marry a non-Christian. And I think that's applicable because think about this. Your value systems aren't the same. Or going into business is another one we use. As a Christian, should I go into business with a non-Christian? Well, if you want to have issues, yes. Because maybe I feel like a certain percentage, maybe I feel like a tenth of all of our, our proceeds should go to, to, a, to, to a local church, go to God's work. But if your other person's not a Christian, they're not going to value that. They don't understand why you need this God stuff involved, where you realize that good business practices and blessings come from God, and so you want to honor him. There's many reasons. Philosophically, they just don't match. We are called not to follow the counsel of the wicked. Malachi tells us this. He says, 
then once more I will see, you will see that I will make a distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who doesn't. When Christians particularly, when we start following the advice of the world, we get ourselves in deep trouble. I believe one of the reasons the church has lost a lot of effectiveness is because we are trying to follow the philosophies of the world instead of the philosophies of God. And that's causing problems. When we're starting to adopt what the world's teaching and try to make the church follow it, we're no longer the church. We're no longer salt and light. We're just bland. And we're called to be salt and light. You know, we see all these issues going around, and it just saddens me when I see what's happening to our young people and what's being taught to them these days. And it's destroying them. And we're just sitting back, and there's nothing, it's almost like there's nothing we can do. Because you know what? As a church, many times, the church is like, yeah, let's be inclusive. Let's be accepted by the world. That's a problem. That's a problem. Then it starts with that follow, asking. But then the intimacy goes a little bit deeper when he talks about don't stand with those, don't stand with the sinners. In other words, standing with them is another step on the path to ruin. We are blessed when we don't stand in the pathway with sinners. The progression, follow, stand. And the, the nature of this involves sin. When one begins to turn to people for counsel that's ungodly, then they start venturing and following that with maybe an occasional indulgence. You remember when we were kids, your parents would tell you sometimes, if you did certain things, certain things are going to happen to you. And when you did those certain things and they didn't happen to you, when you tried it, because you're like, I got to try this, nothing happened, it seemed like. And so then you tried the next thing and the next thing. And then this happens with drugs a lot. You know, people start out, if they say at the bottom of the, and the next thing you know, it gets harder and harder and harder and harder and harder. It takes them to the next step, the next step, the next step, the next step. The path speaks of a lifestyle of those on the path of ruin. So when you start getting enough counsel and start following it and start walking, then you start walking that path right with them. This involves closely associating with those who are in sinful behavior. 1 Corinthians 15.33, and by the way, in the second service, I'll kind of spend a little more time on this because some of them are still parenting their children. But it says this, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. It almost never happens the other way. Many times we're like, you know what, I'm going to come in, I'm going to influence these people. I'm going to go hang out with them where, you know, in the, in, in wherever they are. We're going to go to the bar with them each Friday. I'm going to start influencing them for Jesus. But then what ends up happening is they have more influence on you than you have on them. Bad company corrupts good morals. And that's if you don't memorize any passage in the Scripture, that's a good one to memorize. When we take the, then what ends up happening is we're standing in their path, and then we take that final plunge of intimacy. We sit with the scoffers. It says, blessed are those who do not sit in the assembly with the scoffers. A scoffer is an arrogant individual who loves conflict. Proverbs 22.10 tells us, drive out the scorner and the contention will leave. Strife and insults will cease. So in other words, what he's telling us here is when you have that person who's stirring the pot, get rid of the person and the pot will quit getting stirred. To sit with means to completely identify. When he says to sit with the assembly of the scoffers, this means that you are completely identifying with those on the path of ruin. You are embracing their proud, sinful ways and behavior. Before you realize it, your life, your, your new life in Christ can become cast in the mold of the world. 
And so this is why Psalm 1 says, you won't be blessed if you, if you do these things. The change becomes so complete that then we start taking delight in those who are sneering at God and his people. And this doesn't just happen like that, by the way. It's a progression. And you'll start, when it starts happening, it'll hit you before you realize it. Let's move on to verse 2. It says this, Instead, he finds pleasure in obeying the Lord's commands. He meditates on his holy commands day and night. So obviously, the other path is the path to blessing. In contrast to the one path to ruin, this path of blessing begins with a different mindset. And this is what's so important really in anything in life. When you're wanting to make a change in life, a, a real change, you really have to have a change of mindset. And when that mindset starts going back to the old ways, things change. You know, losing weight, man, it's hard, isn't it? It makes me so angry that I drive by the donut shop and two pounds jump on me. It's just not right. It is not right. And then it'll take like days to get that off, minutes to put it back on. It's just terrible. So what ends up happening is when you want to lose weight, you get into that mindset that says, okay, I'm going to watch what I eat. And then you watch what you eat, or you go on some diet. I hate diets, by the way. And then you, let's say you want to lose 20 pounds, you lose the 20 pounds. And you're like, whoo! But guess what happens? The mindset that comes back on, you know why? Because you, the mindset starts going back. I'm fighting this right now myself, trying to get my mind reset to say, okay, you got to make some changes, buddy. You got to do something different. And in life, if your mindset's not right, your actions won't be right. The path to blessing and happiness in one's life has more to do with what one does versus from refraining from what, not, what you don't do. Many times we think, well, happiness and blessing will come from me not doing this, 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 this. And Christians sometimes have a checklist of things that you don't do so you're right with God. But really, true blessing and happiness comes from what you do. And that's what he's talking about here. One does not refuse to walk the path of ruin because of guilt. In other words, like, well, I feel guilty if I do that. No, instead, I should walk the path of blessing because I know that it's the path of blessing. I know that God is going to bless me if I do this. I know, even more importantly, that my God loves me and I love him, so I want to follow. See, as humans, particularly as Americans, as Americans, we... Uh, <laughs> When we're forced to do something, we resent it, don't we? You know, when we had the thing with COVID and they were forcing mask mandates, okay, and I'm not going to get in the politics of that, but I think the biggest mistake they did was trying to force people to it. I think if they had come out and said, hey, here's, here's why this, you should consider doing this for your safety, here's the evidence for it, I really don't think they would have had as much backlash as they received for it. And then from then on, it just went downhill, didn't it? Because when we're forced to do something, we resent it, don't we? I do. So if I'm following God because I feel like I'm forced to do it, how am I going to see God? I'm going to resent him. I'm going to resent him. If your spouse forces you to do things all the time, you're going to resent them. Kids, when you force them to do things, they're going to resent you. On the other hand, if you do what you do for your spouse because you love them and they love you, whole different ballgame. If you can get your kids to be obedient because they love you, whole different ballgame. If you walk the path of blessing because you love God, there's no resentment. 
because you trust God. You know that he's got, what's, he's got your back, that what he's giving you is it's, it's because it's what's best for you. The path, the path of blessing is not just about doing right, okay? Because look, remember when you took your kid and said, go tell you're sorry to somebody, you grab them by the scruff of their neck and say, go tell them you're sorry, and the kids, I'm sorry. It's so moving, isn't it? They didn't mean it. Well, I can walk with God, sort of. I can walk, kind of walk that path, be forced to, but I'm fighting it on the inside. Instead of it just being about doing what's right, and many Christians, that's where their faith ends. Okay, I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't do this, I do this, I do this, I do this. This is more about finding pleasure and joy in doing what is right, in following that path, that that path is a blessing, that path brings you joy. That path isn't something you're just walking on it because, well, I have to or I'm going to burn in hell. It's, it's not about that. The mindset moves from fighting God to finding joy in him. One of my commentaries said this. He said, the law of the Lord, the Lord's commands, here this term refers to the Torah, which is the most important part of the Hebrew scriptures. That is the first five books traditionally known in the book of Moses. The word Torah means teaching, instruction, and guidance. It stands generally for the Hebrew faith, Yahweh's revelation of himself as God of the Hebrew people, and particularly for the written record and revelation of the Hebrew scriptures, especially the first five books. And so what we find here is it says that the person who loves God, who wants to be on the path of blessing, they find joy in reading God's word. They find joy in spending time thinking about, contemplating, meditating on God's word, the written revelation from God. Because one obeys the commands of God, we'll find pleasure, peace, and joy. If we're not in the mindset that we're being forced. Jesus repeats this same theme a couple times. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Pretty simple. So if I'm not willing to obey Jesus' commands, I don't really love him. Your children, you know, when we had our kids, and we were all in this same boat too, not a one of us are probably different. We got to a point in life where we really loved ourselves more than our parents because when our parents would tell us not to do something or wouldn't let us do what we wanted to do, we fight them because we loved ourselves more than we loved our parents. And the same can happen here. Jesus says, if you love me, do you want to know if you love Jesus? Simple. Are you keeping his commands? Or are you trying to keep his commands because we're not going to be perfect? In 1 John 5, 3, he says, and he adds to it here through John, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments don't weigh us down. And some versions say are not burdensome. In other words, when we see things that God wants to do, we're like, oh, I can't do that now. No, it, it brings us joy. Next, what do you do when you love someone or something? You spend time with them, don't you? I am so thrilled. Spring training, pitchers and catchers just reported. I love me some baseball, man. I, I'm, I am pumped. Cardinals going to win the World Series again this year. It's going to be great. But I'm going to spend a lot of time listening to Cardinal baseball. I generally try to listen to all 162 games, plus, of course, for when you're a Cardinals fan, unlike Cub fans and some of these others, and D-back fans, you get to actually play into, you know, into the playoffs. So I get to listen to a lot of games, or I try to watch them when I can, but I spend time with them. I think a lot about the, you know, the strategy of the game and who's starting and who's hitting today and everything. Place a lot of focus on it. See, when you find pleasure in something, you spend time with it. 
You think about it. You contemplate it. You focus on it. Make sense? The one who finds pleasure in following the commands of the Lord will do all those things with the the Word of God. They'll spend time with it. They'll think about it. They will focus on it, and they'll want to follow it. And it's, it's, it's pretty simple. The psalmist paints a picture of a person who meditates on God's truth all the time, all the time. But what does it mean to meditate? Now, we have our pictures of meditation. You know, we think you have to sit a certain way and hold your hands a certain way. Uh, we, many times we put it into Eastern practice, so we think, well, meditation, that's an Eastern religion thing. Pop culture offers many examples. I remember a long time ago, James Colburn was on The Muppet Show. Anybody used to watch The Muppet Show, by the way? Or was the only weird? I used to love The Muppet Show, loved Animal. Well, James Colburn was trying to teach Animal how to meditate. Remember, Animal was the drummer. Uh, we've got him in second service, by the way. But, uh, <laughs> and then there was a time on the, on the office when Michael tried to relieve Stanley's stress by teaching everyone to meditate only to find out he was the problem. <laughs> Um, unlike these examples, meditation is just simply thinking with intention about God's revealed truth and how it applies in my life. When you read a passage of Scripture, you're not just reading it. God, how does this apply in my life? Joshua 1.8 says, This law scroll must not leave your lips. You must memorize it day and night so you can carefully obey all that is written in it. Then you will prosper and be successful. The path of blessing runs through God's word. Very simple. Let's finish with verse 3. Verse 3 says this. person who does what's in, doesn't do what's in, you know, doesn't follow the things in verse 1, but does what's in verse 2, says he is like a tree planted by flowing streams. It yields its fruit at the proper time, and its leaves never fall off. He succeeds in everything he attempts. So now we see the blessing. To indicate what it's life like to walk on the path of the Lord, the psalmist uses the image of a tree. Parts of Israel are much like Arizona. When you drive around here, and particularly in Sierra Vista, or, you know, or if you go up Mount Lemmon, you see the different, different uh, things that go on there. But out here, you don't see a lot of trees, do you? You see mesquite trees. I think those things could grow in concrete. But uh, you don't see a lot of trees, except when you drive to... Uh, when I drive to... Uh, Tombstone, no, yeah, when I drive to Benson, Bisbee, there we go, Bisbee, one of those B words. When I drive to Bisbee, when you get down that, that, that drop where there's a, they call it a creek, which I never hardly see water in it, what's that? The San Pedro River, yeah. It's, it looks like a, I don't, how do you call that a river? Go to, we have the Missouri River, it's deep and wide, the Mississippi River, that's not a river, I'm sorry. But anyway, what you'll notice is all of a sudden you see all these green trees along that thing because it's by the water. It's pulling water from the ground. These streams, these trees prosper because they're next to life-giving resources. And this was very meaningful when this was written because they understood this. They knew that we have the trees by the living water will prosper. They'll stay green. They will be able to produce fruit. The Christian who lives close to God will never be dry, wilted. Instead, they'll be vibrant, lively, and productive. The droughts of life and the dry seasons never seem to affect the one who's planted by the river of life. We're connected with an unfailing source of life and strength. Notice the passage says that the tree was planted. It's like a tree planted by the the water. These are the places where you would see lush green trees, Usually it was near those streams because that's where the water was. A tree planted by a stream can reach its full potential, 
in its full, full beauty and its full production. The water nourished the tree, nourishes the tree so it can grow big and strong. Vitality and fruitfulness are the characteristics of the life of righteousness. It's not some reward or an enticement, but it's a natural consequence of that life. Bearing fruit, the tree is fulfilling the purpose which it was created. Imagine you planted a bunch of orange trees in your yard. What do you expect to get from the trees? Oranges. What happens if you never get any oranges? You whack them out and put some new ones in. And see, you were, you were created to produce fruit. Jesus talks about this a lot, about producing fruit. But the closer we are to the stream of life, the more fruit that we can produce. It's, it's amazing. When we were in southern Italy, you know, if you've ever been there, the, the, uh, the, the lemons, isn't that about right, Robin? Lemons. You go to the store here and get a lemon, it's like this, you know. They're massive because the climate's perfect for it down at that point, apparently. But see, when you're close to the stream of life, you'll produce big fruit. The person of wisdom is producing big fruit. They're finding purpose in their life, and they're finding fulfillment for God, for, through Christ, through God, and through Christ. See, a lot of times, I don't know what the meaning of life is. Get with God, you'll figure it out. And it'll make, really change things. The righteous person is like a well of wisdom that other people can go to and receive shade from. God will walk with us in all that we do. All that we do, he'll be with us. This, now, when it says that he'll, he'll never fail, that doesn't mean that you're never going to have setbacks. But the thing about failure is it's not... I read a book years ago from John Maxwell called Failing Forward, and the basic premise was it's not failure when you learn something. Edison, when asked about the light bulb, said, well, what, I found so, what, a few thousand ways not to make one. What, imagine when Edison was making that light bulb and he kept saying, you know what, I'm going to keep doing it the same way. I'm going to keep doing it the same way. It's going to work eventually. It's going to work. We would never have the light bulb from Edison, would we? He learned from each mistake. And see, when we have setbacks in life, you learn from them. And they're not failures. My question is for you is this. Where are you investing your life right now? Where is that investment of your time, your talent, your treasures, and your heart what will be the eventual return of the all-important investment of the one life that you have to live? We have one life on this, on this earth, and then we go to eternity. But where do you want to spend it? So many people are wasting the God-given gifts that they have, the talents that they have, the treasures they've been blessed with, because they are going on the wrong path. The investment that they're making is going to fail spectacularly, and it's sad to see. God has laid a path out that will make you successful in his eyes, that will give you blessing. He loves you. He wants you to prosper. But leaving him out of your life will lead to ruin. Delight yourself in the Lord, and life changes. At this time, our praise team is going to come and lead us in a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've not gotten on that path to, to blessing, we invite you to come forward this morning. Because Jesus went to the cross for you, not so you could just struggle through life and eventually not be with him, but he went, on the, went to the cross so you could be with him for eternity. He loves you that much. And this morning, if you need to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning to do that. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you be a part of the First Christian family as we serve the Lord together. And maybe this morning something is just tearing you to pieces and you need some prayer. If you do, come, come forward. I'll be glad to pray with you. Or one of our elders, Roger, would be, uh, be glad to do so. So at this time, if you have a decision to make for Christ, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing our song of decision. Mm -hmm.
stories in books, television series, movies, whatever. And I've often thought it would be great fun to be personally involved in a mystery. Well, communion is a time when we meet with God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. We can understand part of this, but part of this meeting remains a mystery. 
mystery in which we participate. As we eat a piece of bread and drink the fruit of the vine in obedience to Jesus, we are in some mysterious way communing with our Creator, our Lord, and our Savior. In addition, as we take part in communion, we are also sitting at the table, as it were, with all the Christian saints who have gone before us, all who are in Christ. That being the case, it has to be a pretty big table for us all to participate in. It's a mystery how so many can sit with Jesus and participate in this intimate time. Another mystery is how when others accept Christ and are born again, there's always room at the table for them. It's a mystery. I want to read a couple of verses from a song by John Michael Talbot entitled, Come to the Table. As I read these verses, listen and hear God's invitation to you personally. Come to the table. Come to the table and see his eyes, the love that the Father has spoken. And know you are welcome, whatever your crime for every commandment you've broken. For he's come to love you, not to condemn you. And he offers a pardon of peace. If you will come to the table, you will feel in your heart the greatest forgiveness, the greatest release. And here at the table sit those who have loved you, One's a traitor, Judas. One who has denied Jesus. But he's given his life for us all. Us all. And for all, he was crucified. Come to the table he's prepared for you. The bread of forgiveness, wine of release. Come to the table and sit down beside him. The Savior wants you to join him in the feast. Won't you sit down beside Jesus today join in the feast as we remember and give thanks for all he has done. Father in heaven, we are thankful for this opportunity to Come to the table to share with you in this remembrance, this table of remembrance. Help us to hear you calling us, inviting us, and begging us to come to the table and commune with you. Thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name.
On the inside of your bulletins, we have prayer concerns and prayer, excuse me, we have our announcements for this week. And um, we have all of our activities today, Roger's group's meeting today. Uh, the Young at Heart meets Monday. We'll have some uh, Jose and Whitney from Ochuca Hospitality House. Our, all of our Wednesday activities, Thursday activities are going together. Uh, those on the security team meet Saturday. Operation Christmas Childs, looking for donations for small toys during the month of February. Narrow Path, we're going to be meeting on March 11th here at the church at 8 a.m. We're going to go to the Wachukas, and at least that's the plan right now, unless something changes, but that's the, the plan. Um, so make sure you read that. Uh, Sierra Vista is going to have a shred-a-thon. We encourage you to take note of that also. Um, we are still in Faith Promise, and uh, I'm going to show you a clip from CareNet that you'll want to see. And remember, if you would like to make pledges, you'll find these cards on the back table, or excuse me, on the guest center, and you can mark any kind of pledge that you want to make and just drop it in the offering box, or you can do it online. But at this point, I want to show you uh, some information from CareNet. Good morning, First Christian Church. My name is Tina Rowley, and I'm the executive director here at CareNet Pregnancy Center of Cochise County. And today, I want to give you a little tour of our center so that you can see how your donations and your prayers help this community. This is our pregnancy test room, and this is where we offer free pregnancy tests to moms and dads considering abortion. We want our clients to understand that they have the option to choose a life-affirming option, such as parenting or adoption. And we want them to know that there is a wonderful source of hope available to them in Jesus Christ. And this is our ultrasound room where we provide free ultrasounds where mom and dad are able to look in this large screen and see an image of their little one in the womb. And our prayer, of course, is that they will fall in love with that baby when they see him or her. And this is our parenting class educational room where mom and dad will watch videos and learn the, all the tools that will help them to be amazing parents. And why not bring the little ones along and let them play in our toy area? No babysitter, need, no babysitter needed. Mom and dad can get all the education they need in programming. And this is our baby boutique. This is a store where mom and dad can shop and purchase clothing, diapers, formula, all types of baby supplies that they might need to help with parenting. It's because of the generosity of this community that this store is so full of items. We thank you, First Christian, for your support, for your donations, and your prayers. You make CareNet possible for this community. So CareNet's one of the uh, organizations that receives our faith promise money as they, as they come in, and they do a great job, and we're thankful we can be a part of what they do.
Awesome. If you turn in the back of your boat to our prayer concerns and prayers of celebration, as of last Sunday, we have 29 pledges for close to $30,000 that'll go to missions this next year as it comes in. One of the things about our pledges is many times we may get a pledge number, but uh, more years than not, that gets exceeded. So that's really neat. Occasionally we don't hit it, but uh, we don't sweat that because that's between everybody and God. Uh, we have a lot of special concerns we've been praying for. Of course, we had Carolyn's celebration of life service. I want to thank everyone who helped with that and who came to, to honor her and their family yesterday. Uh, we have a lot of people on our prayer concerns. We've got a new guest that's uh, with us today. <laughs> Won't mention Lil's name, but uh, good, good to have her. We're still uh, waiting for Ruth to get back. I know she's still got a few more weeks in Tucson, and then she'll hopefully be back here and for a little bit more rehab, and we'll look forward to seeing her. Uh, keep Barb Neese in your prayers. She's been going through some things, and I know uh, Vicki Sampson and Ken keep them in your prayers. We have many others that we've been praying for, so lift them up. We have troops who are deployed. We have shut-ins that we go see. Uh, we have our missions that we support and the outreaches. So at this time, let's stand together. I'll ask you to take your hearts to the Lord, and then I will close this with a prayer, and our praise team will lead us out with a song. So let's go before God right now. Father, we thank you that for all the, the prayers lifted up, for all the situations we've been praying for, Lord, I pray that everyone will take these home and, and keep, them, keep, them, uh, keep lifting these prayers up to you. Father, I thank you that we could be together today, and I pray that as we leave this place, Lord, we'll leave challenged and ready to serve you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for church this morning. Have a wonderful week in the Lord, everybody.